It's not just radio, it's Rockland World Radio. RocklandWorldRadio.com Hi, and welcome to another edition of New York Update. We're usually on Tuesdays at 7 p.m., but we have a special interview here, and it is the day after school officially ended in New York City. So I'm Jake Jacobs here with another New York City school teacher, and this is Lola Osaria. Osoria. Osoria? Mm-hmm. Sorry. Okay. Just learning. Just getting to know her. Um, and we're just going to have a uh, conversation here about her big announcement running for Congress here in the 17th District. It is the seat that is held currently by Nita Lowy, uh, who has been in that seat for probably 30 years or more. And, and so you are a New York City school teacher. Why don't we start with where's your school? My school is uh, located on Fordham. It's across the street from Fordham University. It's uh, a big, large campus, um, and I work in one of the smaller schools within that called Bronx Law for Community Service. Bronx? Bronx High School for Law and Community Service. Oh, uh, Bronx High School. Okay. So that's one of those uh, big buildings that got shrunken into four smaller schools. Via Bloomberg, yeah. Right, during the Bloomberg era, right, which I'm against. I think bigger schools are better because you have more teachers, less administrators. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so uh, from there, let's take us to why did you step out of your comfort zone and why are you deciding to run for Congress? This is a huge step outside of my comfort zone, and I did it primarily because of my students. I'm a person that I knew I wanted to teach ever since I was 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to, uh, in Yonkers, a pre-teaching high school, mm-hmm. and I wanted to affect as much change as I could. Mm-hmm. And I thought education was the way to do that. Education, and I still believe this, is a way to seek equity. However, when I became a teacher, and I'd like to think that I'm really good about my job and at the very least I'm incredibly passionate I soon discovered and it was incredibly disheartening that there are policies that affect this equity factor Mm -hmm. and I can't affect as much change as I would like um, simply being a teacher and I see that my kids that there are policies that don't protect the most vulnerable and some kids are falling through the cracks and we can't have that and it's it's a helpless feeling when you, you know there's some there is something that should be done and you can't do that thing. So it's as a result of continuously feeling like, oh, man, we need to do something. And that's why I'm like, all right, well, I need to model for my kids that there is somebody um, advocating for them. And I need to model what self-advocation looks like. Mm-hmm. And I need to be the change that, I, you know, we all need to see. Okay. I know the feeling. I mean, I work in the Bronx, too, and you are powerful in front of that classroom or or maybe a whole grade of kids that you teach. But then there's just, you know, when they go home and you see the situations that some of these kids are in in the Bronx and there's just like nothing you could do for them beyond, you know, the school day. It it, it is frustrating. But Congress is a pretty big leap. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure you might have considered state senate or assembly or something else. I know over in White Plains, they just had uh, city council races. Mm -hmm. So why Congress? It goes in line with my wanting to affect change. Mm -hmm. And I think Congress affects the type of change I'm seeing, the type of fundamental instructional change that, like, within the fabric of our district, within our community, within our nation, essentially, um, that we need to see. So I said, you know, a lot of people say, why don't you aim for something lower? And I'm like, this is where, this is the change that needs to be made, and this is where I want to run. I know I'm I'm skipping ahead. <laughs> I'm against, like, you know, bounds and leaps, but essentially... I'm qualified, I'm passionate to do this big work. This is the change that I've always wanted to to, to implement and mm-hmm. to affect. So that's where I'm trying to Okay. Go. And, yeah, I mean, we see ever since Trump was elected, the ground has been shifting under our feet. AOC is the big example. I saw that documentary where they show all of the other uh, candidates that she kind of trained with and she kind of came up with, and AOC... It seems like when you watch that movie, she was really the exception. exception. Yeah. Yep. But now, with all of this happening and 
her being a prominent voice in social media, I think public is also getting more aware, like, you know, hey, we did that. We put that everyday person in office. Mm -hmm. Why don't we do that again? Mm -hmm. You know, get more representation from women, from people of color, Mm -hmm. from people, you know, that aren't millionaires and billionaires or Mm -hmm. aren't politically connected. So every politician has a couple of issues, a mm-hmm. couple of key issues that they concentrate on or specialize on mm-hmm. or prioritize. Mm-hmm. So what would be yours? I have four. Obviously, I'm running an educationally based campaign. Um, one, because that I really, truly believe that education is a way to implement equity mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, it starts from there. So my my big thing will be education. I'm also about climate change. That's going to be one of mine. Um, a single-payer healthcare system mm-hmm. is also going to be mine. We need access to healthcare. Everyone needs access to quality healthcare and affordable housing within our district. It's very expensive to live in our district. Um, especially where I come from or live in currently white plains is very expensive so those are my those are my issues that I think will will help um, the progressive message and will help you know make sure the district is equitable okay so let's dig in so on education on the house level the ESSA law has not been updated since 2015. Mm-hmm. It was during the obstructionist era. You know, that was when Obama was the president and John Boehner was in charge of the House. Mm-hmm. Now it's the other way around. We have a Republican president and Pelosi's in charge of the House. So it's not likely that there's going to be uh, an ESSA bill. I mean, you know, when they did the ESSA bill, it was negotiated. I think it took like over a year and a half. They were arguing whether or not they were going to keep in certain things and and take certain things out. And so depending what happens in the 2020 election, there may or may not be an opportunity. I mean, if Mitch McConnell is still in charge, they're not. He already said he's not going to let anything come for a vote. So, so that's tough. But in the, on the House side, you can still do things and you can still get people on the record. So, in the uh, Every Student Succeeds Act, mm-hmm. what would you be looking to change? You said funding equity. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, there's uh, low income areas that don't have the the basic school funding for schools. Mm-hmm. We see that in New York on on the state level. We see mm-hmm. that in federal funding. What's the mechanism for that? Would it be like a, a, a bill, or would it be Title I funds? Or Bernie Sanders has a call for tripling Title I funds. That seems to be the most obvious mechanism. Mm-hmm. But is this a, an existing proposal, or would this be you know something that, that you would introduce? Uh, what I have in mind would not be an existing proposal. I'm all for Title I funding and federal funding. You know, we get about, our schools are funded by like 8% of federal funding, um, and SI think is incredible um but and i think giving these schools just large sums of money are great but the huge question is what happens when that money is depleted all right let's get this this money let's let's um instructionally like but then like people and you know principals and admin they can decide what needs to be done but the real question is all right what happens after that so for me what i think is the Really what happens is, and this is a big idea, but schools are mainly funded through property taxes. We get a little bit from federal, a little bit from state, but mostly through property taxes. And I've seen that in other states, um, there have been like caps. And then what the, the extra, like where schools are really well funded through their property tax, and usually obviously they keep all that comes in, what they've done in other places if they've given it to other schools. Okay, we've reached our cap, we reached our limit, let's give it to other um uh, districts that are not necessarily property wealthy. So that's where my idea comes in because I think this idea of funding schools through property taxes, it just contributes to a dysfunctional and not equitable cycle. Mm-hmm. It's a dysfunctional cycle. And I think that funding through property taxes leads to inequity and we can, we have to change that. So there are proposals here in New York State for the circuit breaker. Is this something that you see on the federal level that would, what you're saying is uh, it was kind of uh, equalize school funding mm-hmm. through property tax? Mm-hmm. Federal legislation for that? Yeah, that, like that's what I, I think would help um, because I think giving large sums of money to schools will do, so, and there's also been studies with that, it'll do something, but then what happens when that money is no longer coming in? Mm-hmm. We need consistent uh, fiscal support right. for our districts and equitable Okay. 
like you say, the, the majority of funding does come from the state level. The federal funding, it comes with so many strings attached, right? Mm-hmm. So where do you stand on the privatization? It started with George Bush. Obama did kind of keep it up uh, with Arne Duncan, the high-stakes standardized testing. Mm-hmm. And the other issue, the other big one is charter schools that open when public schools close. Mm-hmm. So where do I stand on? Do you have a position oh. staked out yet? Or? Oh, no. I, <laughs> as a teacher, I think you, you have a position. Um, and I'm a high school teacher, and we're just coming off the heels of Regents right now. Mm-hmm. What it, I, I, I definitely think that we need to have some sort of way to discern, you know, college readiness and, and preparedness. I think this high stakes, stakes testing is not the way to go. I think that um, our kids are anxious, and, I, and I'm just going to be honest, I haven't heard anybody else say this, but exams are biased. But. Exams are biased, and I see it when I teach my kids, and teachers feel the pressure to teach toward, exa- to teach, you know, toward exams, and I'm also going to be super transparent. My, I'm a 10th grade teacher. I've just been asked to um, teach a regents bearing class. Guess what? I can't teach novels. Like, right. this has been told to me. Yeah. You can no longer teach novels. You have to... Teach to the top. Teach, like, uh, not in those words, but you need to you need to do these things and these skills, and I'm not right. for that. That is not best serving our kids. I think to be a teacher is to teach kids how to be critical thinkers and, in, in the world, and um, you do that through multiple ways, but just teaching to a test is not one of those ways. Okay. And then colleges receive them, and then they're not as prepared as they should be. And I think that this contributes to the reason why. Um, not for the destabilization of public schools. I'm disgusted with that. Um, my position on charter schools is that they often select. Um, Cherry pick. Right? High-achieving students and then claim success. Right. You can't do that. It's fraud. You you cannot do that. You can't. You choose who you want. Say, well, we succeeded, and then siphon public education funds. You cannot do that. Right. Um. Not for it. So, is it safe to say you would be in favor of the NAACP moratorium on charter schools in the presidential race? So far, Bernie is the only uh, candidate that has supported it publicly. Elizabeth Warren hasn't given her answer yet. And Biden has said some language, you know, they, they siphon, we have to be careful, we have to be vigilant, but he hasn't said, yes, I support the NAACP moratorium. Do you uh, have a position on the NAACP moratorium? Because um, it sounds like similar language. Um, do me a favor and just explain the moratorium. Oh, well, um, after the 2016 uh, convention, where the platform committee for the Democrats failed to make an official party policy on charter schools. Mm-hmm. As soon as that was over, the NAACP said, we're doing this on our own. And they made a national call for a moratorium on any new charter schools until such time that they can determine that opening it up would not harm the traditional district schools in any way, either financially, draining students, resources, you know, taking stealing teachers away, marketing, all that kind of stuff. And so basically it's, it sounds like what you're saying, but it's, it, you know, it's a pretty well-reasoned and researched paper that they put out in 2016. Absolutely. Okay, um, so absolutely. It, so- it sounded like. <laughs> as, as far as that goes, too, as far as, like, the teacher front, um, they tend not to be unionized. Most of them are not unionized. And they, yeah, they siphon teachers, and then these teachers have to work these incredibly long hours because they're not unionized. There's so and because of that, there's turnover. There's incredible turnover. And that doesn't best fifty percent. Yeah, Success Academy lost fifty percent of his teachers mm-hmm. in, in multiple buildings. You know, over the past couple of years, that sounds like a pretty strong stance against. The privatization, you have the testing. You spoke about the regions, but there's also the third to eighth grade Mm -hmm. common core. They don't call it common core anymore. Multiple choice tests with the essay questions where the kids are supposed to find the right answer and and circle it instead of bringing their own thoughts and experiences and and write about that. It's rewarding who can regurgitate the answers and who could find the right answer and regurgitate it. So would you be in favor of a ending the federal mandate for high stakes standardized tests? I, I personally, I would. I think okay. I'm going to get a lot of like <laughs> crap for that, but I would. I, I don't think it serves our kids. I don't think bias testing that with teachers who feel compelled to teach the test, and often now n- less of it is impacts us. What it impact? Like, there's so many facets to this that are not okay. 
So I would be, I think that, like, I would be an advocate for, like, maybe project-based, you mm-hmm. know, learning and, right. and ways of, and, and other schools do this. Of course, yeah. high-achieving schools like Bronx Science and Fordham Prep don't have regions, but also regular schools do this, and I don't think that we need regions to deem readiness um, for our, our kids. Right. Okay. No, I agree with that. I mean, that's why I do this. I'm a school teacher. I When they told me that my evaluation was going to be based on math scores and I teach art, right. I, I... How did you feel? I, I felt... Well, I felt, I felt pretty bad, but then later on that year, after the scores came in and my the students in my school didn't do so hot on math... Mm. I was rated ineffective on that, <laughs> on that, and and so that is why I started writing and started researching and started broadcasting, and that's why I'm here. So, uh, yeah, I'm. That's not okay. <laughs> that's not okay. Um, and you know, we're waiting, you know, for some candidates for congressional candidates to weigh in on this. I mean, I can't tell you whether Nita Lowy has a position or not. She's for charter schools. Oh, she's for Charles. She's okay, for but uh, but on the high stakes testing, yeah. I don't know one way or the other. You know, it was kind of refreshing to hear Jamal Bowman, who just announced last week, make this a prominent part of his campaign mm-hmm. because he comes from the opt out movement as mm-hmm. pr- as a principal. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's and, huge. Yeah, and so this might, I mean, win or lose, this will bring it into the election and bring it into the campaign. And so it's nice to see another candidate that can put a couple of fresh issues out there that maybe the other candidates aren't on the record. Okay, let's move through criminal justice reform. We just got some new legislation in the uh, recent uh, close of the session here in New York State. Mm -hmm. Do you have a position on criminal justice reform? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. Um, It needs, obviously, as a person of color, this is all these issues are speak to me directly. Um, there needs to be criminal justice reform, and I'm for the type of reform that um, lies heavily on training and de-escalation tactics. Okay, so, police, police training? Yeah. Okay. Much like I'm an advocate for that for educators as well that aren't necessarily familiar with the community, I think that there needs to be some sort of training or understanding. I don't think you can properly serve a community you're not familiar with. Mm -hmm. I think the same goes for educators as does it goes for police officers. The issue with, you know, so um, I'm for, yeah, training. I'm a fan of the the camera Mm -hmm. stuff that they wear, the body cams. And I I am also for them working with and in the community. And if they're being trained um, and they understand the community, they're working in the community, they have de-escalation tactics, um, and to use them on people of color because when big things happen, they use these de-escalation tactics. Um, when there are large shooter- shooters, they're normally taken out, um, you know, and I think that when people are unarmed and get shot, that speaks to a, what happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there needs to be huge criminal justice reform. Okay. So on the federal level, what that would look like would be the federal government kind of making mandates, you know, onto state level or city or municipal level. Mm -hmm. And there has been resistance to that because they feel like big government. I mean, a lot of cities are doing this on their own, obviously, like New York City recently has. um, But, you know, I guess, you know, maybe they have problems with this, like down south or, you know, upstate, way, 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 you know. And so it sounds like uh, it would really need to be, I guess, fleshed out what the federal policy would look like, right? right? Because And I think that people generally don't like to be told what to do. Right. And I think that that's the crux of the issue. Don't tell us what to do and how to handle it. We get that there are unique circumstances within every state, municipality, all of that. Um but the fact that people just like just like with education and we have across the board standards, the same needs to be held here. Yeah. And so that's kind of tied to the next question. And this is kind of new. I mean, they started asking presidential candidates about this. Mm-hmm. It's the slavery reparations. And, you know, my daughter just was assigned. She's in 11th grade this year and oh. she was assigned uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates. And, uh, you know, she was reading that, so I was... He's my favorite. (laughs) I'm English, so... Right. And, um, you know, know, there's some interesting arguments. Some, you know, candidates are for it. Some candidates are against it. Do you have, uh, on the House level, an opinion or... or Totally. Maybe a little bit of a a policy prescription? Um, Totally. So, 
I will say I'm going to bring this back. This has been a conversation in my household ever since I was a kid. Um, And this often is a a conversation. I'm just going to keep it real and honest. Um, Black people are are still like, where's my 40 acres and a mule, right? right? Where are you cannot move forward. I think the issue is you cannot move forward until you have addressed the past, right? I can't do something to you, not say sorry, and then say, but let's keep moving forward. That's the issue. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, I'm for that. I think that um, for as far as reparation goes, I think HBCUs need to be funded, well funded, no matter who goes there. Right. right? Um, I think they need to be completely free for its students. Uh. Um, and I, I'm a huge fan in terms of policy of reparations in the form of education. Right. Um, Policies that, I guess, favor traditionally underserved communities because it's a recognition that this has been going on ever since the days of slavery and and those communities have stayed beneath the uh, income levels and uh, the opportunity levels as other communities. Right. And I'm just going to say classism and racism are often intertwined and so I think that that needs to be, we need to move into those low income areas and, and I think that so, but I think that it's deeper than just I do think that like money, you know, that would be awesome. But I, I think the way to do it as a teacher is definitely through education and making sure that the education is sound, is well funded, and students that are marginalized get to go to college for free. Right. Okay. I just had my regular show on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and Bernie's new big announcement that he wants to eliminate all tuition debt, $1.4 trillion, was pretty big. Warren, you know, her plan is to cancel up to $50,000 per person, mm-hmm. which is okay. And then, you know, Biden wanted to make, I think, a two-year community college is free. I don't have an update, but when he was VP, that was his proposal with Obama, which is something, you know... It doesn't go far enough. Right. But if these are the front runners, you know, they kind of set the discussion. Mm-hmm. And so everybody else, if they want to compete now, they have to get into the discussion. Right. Right. Yeah. right. So let's talk about climate. I don't have a question. I could ask a question like, do you support the Green New Deal? But it's pretty obvious. <laughs> I mean, let me ask you a question about Nita Lowy. Do you know if Nita Lowy has signed on to the Green New Deal? Because... That might be one major difference if she hasn't, or maybe she's dragging her feet, doesn't have an answer. Uh, As far as what I believe, I'm not sure, but I think she's very into the environment, Mm -hmm. so I would be shocked if she hasn't. Right, but this is like such a major step, right, that we want to immediately transition away from all combustion engines, like within like a certain number of years or decades. That's major, right? And Geothermal. Like, right, mm-hmm. and then all the alternatives, right? Uh, so we're boosting solar, wind, tidal, geothermal, you know, all at once. When AOC first got there, it made a big splash. She had, like, I think 60 co-sponsors in the house right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And then they've been going one by one, to asking, you know, members of Congress, are you on board with this? If not, they get a visit from these climate groups, And I saw them at Jamal's launch the other day. I forget which one it was. But, you know, they're outside the window. They're knocking on the doors. And so they want specifically, you know, the Green New Deal or else something just as strong Um, to show that, like, this is the level of emergency that that we're at. I'm a part of one of those groups (laughs) that, like, stop that, like, in Manhattan and stop traffic and all that, uh, which I think is great. Um, The Ideally, and New York just did it. They want a New. York, they want you know us to declare you know a state of emergency for climate change and all that. And I can tell you that I will sign it without any reservations. I'll co-sponsor it. Like this is an issue, and the fact that it's not being acknowledged by some people. I don't know if you've heard, but in some. Just now, I think some Republicans like kind of ran away. I believe it was in Oregon, and they're like, oh, "We're not signing any bill so for climate change." Like, I think that that's absurd, ridiculous, and not only is it going to affect right now, but it's going to affect who will inherit the world, like mm-hmm. our kids. How can you not? Like, I don't understand how you can say I know more than scientists, right? I know, I know better. No, this is not an issue. Like, I don't get it, and you can feel literally the. the Things are happening. Right. Environmentally, um, the weather is changing. We've had, like, the Apriliest June we've ever had before. Right. And um, things are happening, and we need to get on board before we can 
before, you know. But they also say, but the the idea of the Green New Deal, it's not just changing the types of energy we use. It's also a jobs program, right? That's Mm -hmm. that's an integral part of it and a a huge economic plan, Mm -hmm. right, that will set up our future generations for a better economy because they will have that free and clean energy. If we do all the work, you know, starting to build out that infrastructure out. So if you if you're only able to get a couple of pieces of it, what do you see as the first pieces to be implemented? I think getting new new businesses and stuff like that to take on some environmental responsibility. So I think that adopting these new energy sources will be the biggest piece Mm -hmm. of it. Uh, Moving toward geothermal, like uh, trying to move less toward coal, not needing it. I mean, I think whenever our resources are limited, we obviously can't depend on it for forever. So we have to have a contingency place and plan. Um, And so I think that that would be the biggest the piece. And I love the jobs piece. I just, we had an alumni event and I just asked one of my former students, like my first year teaching, Mm -hmm. asked her what she was doing. She said she's working in the environmental industry and I was so pleased. Oh, wow. Um, And we need more of that. Okay. You would uh, put it on businesses to be more, I guess, environmental regulations like they have in Europe, right? So polluting wouldn't be an option, right? You Mm -hmm. can't have a business, you can't have a viable business and be a polluter anymore. Okay. This is another one that's big for me because I feel like this is the problem underneath almost every problem we have from climate to war to healthcare, education, you name it. It's campaign finance. Mm. The big issue of campaign finance. And we didn't get it here in New York. It was blocked by in the assembly here in New York. They, there was some proposals for uh, Limits limiting how much like a rich per, a billionaire can give, for example. They did get rid of the LLC loophole here in New York, so mm-hmm. that's going to be an improvement. That's going to be one thing. But they also wanted publicly financed, like you know, matching dollars and and everything. And so, if, if it has a tough fight in New York, what does that say for the for the whole nation? Where do you think the House might be able to do? Let's say you know, twenty twenty is a great year, and you pick up some people, you know, some seats in the House. Let's say, mm-hmm. what do you think would be possible for campaign finance reform? I think that I don't know what will be possible, but I know that the goal is to not have to for these big companies not to be able to essentially lobby and buy other people's votes um, and I think that that can be severely lessened if we pick up some seats in the house and uh, on a personal note like Nina Lowe is one of the wealthiest congress uh, women um, and I think that and if you look at like you know it's all public information but she accepts money from like Goldman Sachs okay. pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. um, Bloomberg <laughs> who mm-hmm. we're, are not a friend of teachers Um so I think I look at that and I'm like, that's a problem, right? We need obviously smaller donations and there needs to be some sort of limit um, because essentially who has the money, <laughs> right? Has the influence, has the power, has the clout. And I think that that definitely needs to be limited. And I think if we put, if, you know, pick up some seats, I think that there can be some policies around limiting that um, and making it more fair for regular people to run. Okay. Years ago, coming out of the Senate, they did have a bill that was called McCain-Feingold, mm-hmm. which was John McCain and Russ Feingold. They did want to put limits on it. Um, I don't know if it was corporate spending, but it was like individual donations. It was capped. So I think right now the individual donation that you can give to a campaign is, is like 2700 Oh, is I thought it was less. I thought it was like... I don't know, but I know I know there is a, a limit, and and the way they've gotten around that is by instead of giving money to the campaign, they'll give money to a super PAC, and the super PAC can then spend money on that candidate's behalf, but it doesn't actually go to the campaign, so they can spend unlimited amounts, and they could buy TV ads all day long, and it, as long as it doesn't say support, you know, John Doe, it just says go against his opponent, mm-hmm. or he can, you know, or he could talk about the issues, mm-hmm. you know, or they can say, you know, we need somebody that is, you know, like six foot three, and you know, whatever. That's funny. Um, it's it, that's interesting because super PACs are a problem. 
And uh, when I announced I was running, there was a student who is like 16, and he started his own super PAC. And really? <laughs> he got, yeah, he was in like the news and the newspapers and all that just to show people how anybody can start a super PAC mm-hmm. and how that leads to campaigning inequity, you know what I mean? And um, so I thought that that was really interesting. I had somebody on my campaign. He's a kid. Mm-hmm. But um, who actually, that's that's his passion. And I think that that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah that's that's great. It's great to see the youth getting more involved, mm-hmm. you know, in civics ed- education. I just saw that some teens in Rhode Island mm-hmm. are suing the federal government because they feel like they were shortchanged of a civics education and you know they have a funny video on the daily show where they're going like with you know like people on the street can you name who your congressperson is can you name the three branches of government can you you know and then they said this is really serious because only one out of ten schools actually teach one year of civics in high school Mm -hmm. at the high school level and so yeah that's something that the government can do like okay let's get some more civics t- classes mm-hmm. some more you know mm-hmm. make kids aware like go out in the world do some policy things or some mm-hmm. protesting or some government stuff I think you know school I like that that I would love that and I think you know like schools are kind of funny <laughs> to say the least about about that like my school is a long government school so we definitely had that mm-hmm. um but as far as like talking about like you know encouraging students to get active yeah um i haven't seen that and i'd love to see more yeah of my middle school is like that luckily i mean that's one of the reasons why i'm there <laughs> but you know imagine a school like in ohio where it's like mixed and you know there's tension there you know there's you know, some people's parents are Trump supporters, some people's parents are Democrats, and then you have the kids living in that little fishbowl. What can you bring up as a mm-hmm. teacher that mm-hmm. isn't going to be controversial? Mm-hmm. I mean, my kids, they're all Democratic, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, when in 2016, I held like a mock election or, or a mock survey. They hated Trump, but they didn't like Hillary either. either. So, yeah, so, you know, it, w- it was like, well, you, you know, you got to vote for somebody, <laughs> so... Yeah, so we need more civics. Yeah, we need more of that learning. We need it to be in the classroom, like, integrated. And so, um, yeah, that that might be something, you know, that the House could pick up. They do an education bill, but, you know, at the very least, just to talk about it using their the platform that they have when they're campaigning yeah. can, can just put those things out there. Um, so, yeah, we spoke about campaign finance. Um, let's talk about the southern border. Um, I'm... I'm I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure that Nita Lowy is on the right side of this issue. But is there anything that you feel, it's kind of in the news last couple of days, but it's been in the news for weeks. And the interesting thing about this is where Nita Lowy's seniority really comes in, because she is the chair of the um, budgeting committee, Mm -hmm. right? And so that is the committee that negotiates with Mitch McConnell, whoever the chair of the Senate Budget Committee is, Republican, I don't know, and the, and the White House. Mm-hmm. So Nita Lowy has been the one holding the line. You know how we didn't give uh, Trump the funding for his wall, mm-hmm. and that became the sticking point on a very, very big uh, immigration plan that's mm-hmm. all just in limbo now, like right. nothing's happening. Right. And so that's an example where Nita Lowy is really holding her ground. Right. You know, they're trying to say, oh, the Democrats are holding up humanitarian aid. That's why you see that photo of the of the people dying. It's the Democrats, right? So, you know, where do you see your candidacy and all of this? Because this is such a charged issue, and, you know, it's like life or death for some people. Well, literally it is. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be honest. When I saw that photo, I was, like, crying. Mm-hmm. Like, that's heartbreaking and I will even go further to say that this is not the only time it happens it happens in other places in the Middle East there are kids dying as well um, I I'm proud that Nita Lowy is, is financially holding up that end of the bargain but as always I think we need to take it a step further I'm disgusted disgusted um, there are concentration camps but that's what they you're are. You're using the word concentration camps. I agree. And, you know, I'm of Jewish heritage. I say it sounds to me like these people are being held against their will. No court date inside concentration Nothing. camps. I mean, there, there, there are like 
humanitarian. There are stories where the, the, uh, someone was like, I've never seen this level of inhumanity. So there are like babies and I guess the parents are so elsewhere and they're giving it to other children. They're yeah. like, hey, who wants to raise this Seven-year-olds, kid? Right. How? It's How? like instead of a doll, we're giving you a real kid, right? How? <laughs> How is that happening? Um, I, like I. I would I would like to think because I don't I'm I'm a person that does not presume America's innocence, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of millennials like me, a lot of progressive people would agree. But I still didn't think something like this would happen. Mm-hmm. I didn't think like um I'm I'm disgusted, lost for words, um and whatever we need to do to 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 free these kids like somebody said that they can walk out whenever they want but there are barbed wires there are locks there are things they cannot walk well, whenever they, they yeah, want yeah they have a policy where there's like the stay in mexico policy now where they make an asylum claim and then it used to take a long time to see a judge and have a hearing it, is it a real asylum claim or are they just saying that because somebody told them to and they let a certain number of people through but the new thing uh, with the Trump administration is that they don't stay in America. Like, you would be released into America to your family members and stay with them until you have your hearing date. Right. And now they're being either detained on the border in one of these facilities right. or they have to stay in Mexico where the conditions are are bad and there's, you know, there's camps there and there's nothing to eat there and there's, uh, you know. And because this, you know, policy has been getting tougher and tougher, more people have been coming not less, less, because they think, like, this is going to be the last chance to get through, you know, before they completely cut it off. And so they're seeing unprecedented numbers of people coming over the border. They're over, they're overwhelmed. And, you know, their uh, the Trump administration's response has been, you know, let's build a wall, let's get tougher, you know, let's send them back, no mm-hmm. excuses. Instead of the, you know, I hear some Democratic proposals like let's triple the number of judges and let's speed up these hearings and let's get these things adjudicated and let's process these people one way or the other. Right. Let's get, you know, uh, facilities, you know, they need they need medical care, they need food. Right. Um, they don't have that. And so, yeah, more of, I guess, kind of like the, I guess, bleeding heart, you know, liberal thing. But, you know, this is happening and... It's it's a problem that goes back, you know, during during the Obama years, they had a good bill that they passed in the Senate, mm-hmm. comprehensive bill, mm-hmm. right, that had penalties for employers mm-hmm. who hire illegals because they want to try and cut the demand down in the first place mm-hmm. and hold the white collar, you know, people responsible that are hiring these people, these construction firms, landscapers, mm-hmm. you know, like chicken processing factories, mm-hmm. all these guys that hire thousands and thousands of, of, you know, undocumented people a day, um, you know, in, and then, and then, you know, at the same time, they were going to be increasing legal immigration, um, but, you know, have, they, they would have penalties. They did have border security, you know, so they talk about maybe not a wall, but they talk about monitoring or fencing, whatever's appropriate, you know, patrols. I mean, you know, there are smarter ways And I think what I would say is, like, I think the crux of it, like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm a big... Like, I guess I think about, like, the the broad issue, and I think, I like to think of, like, what what's happening, what the real, like, center of the issue is. So, I'm thinking going to these countries and figuring out, at first, like, working with the, 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 the leaders in these countries to figure out what's making them, in the first place, what's making these people risk and flee and risk their lives, knowing what's at stake right. and what, what's, what's happening there. I think that would be the ideal thing. Right. And this is a, a nation of immigrants, like, me, I feel like, how dare you? How dare you know? How dare you feel like you can say, determine who can come in and come right. out or whatever? We need to fix or and work with leaders to fix what's happening in their own countries because people don't necessarily want to leave where they were born. If they're leaving, it's for a reason, and that needs to be amended. And we need to work with those leaders to figure out why and how we can help. Yeah. Well, uh, I, and so I'm hearing a lot more and more uh, every day about climate change and the fact that farming isn't sustainable down mm-hmm. there anymore. Mm-hmm. Then you have the whole, you know, international corporations that come down and take over the farms, right? They're like, oh, we'll buy this farm because we can do it all with a machine now or, or we can do it, like, you know, much more efficiently. 
and then all those people are out of work. Um, you know, I say let's be inefficient. You know, let's have sustainable farming, like community farming, right. because then these people. But but then again, if, if the areas are flooded or there's drought conditions, how are they supposed then to? Then they fun? yeah. So there's so many there's so many like you know Factors. parts of this problem that you know that that are going to be hard to deal with. And so yeah, we all going to have to all pull together, but I know that when my family came to this country, World War 1, half of World War 2, mm. you just came through Ellis Island and they would stamp you. Right. It's the same thing today except they passed a law I think in the 80s, I think under Reagan where it said, "Nah, certain amount and then that's it," you know, and then you know, cuz we're just getting too much. So, you know, there's an overpopulation thing right. and then there's a then there's this migration thing you know which has to do with economics and I know the US we go to these countries and we try to find out what can we get in terms of trade mm-hmm. to benefit ourselves instead mm-hmm. of saying well if we really if we're gonna spend billions and billions on these border policies we might as well spend hundreds of millions instead mm-hmm. doing development helping those countries right. do development and, and that'll that'll cease Right. It'll, it'll, or it'll at least like slow it down. Yeah, I mean, if there's safety and security, and there's you know sustainability in the home country, then they will not need to come here. Right. And I'm sure they would pre- prefer to be in their own right. land and their own culture. Right. So, and of course, there's a tinge of racism and all that that goes with it too, right? Yeah. And yes, it's feasibility, but it's also we want to encourage. We America wants to encourage um, the people that they want, and I think that's been more blatant obviously under trump um definitely under trump but yeah i think if we go to other because you know people and i actually i don't know if the statistic is right but i heard more americans are going down now to mexico as well there are tons of i'm hearing that too because your money your money goes a long way Yeah. yeah i mean we're in trump era we maybe america didn't know how many racists we still had but now we now we know right because and more than that we have systems that perpetuate you know right. racism institutional and, right yeah. and i think that i think that that was the issue that like obviously i would i'm going to go and say like you know black people know like this was in my household like no it's not individual racists that we're afraid of it's a system it's a system of inequity that was built and we maintain it um, and that's the initial. So let's talk about the race. We got into a lot of issues. Thank you. You know, let's talk about the race because I always complain that when when you go on, you know, watch MSNBC, that they never talk about issues. They only talk about the horse race, right? Mm-hmm. Who's more popular with this person, with women, with females, with, you know, people under 30. And it makes me crazy. Like, can't you, they just say, like, where do you stand on this policy? Because, you know, that's what I want to know about. So... Nilo has been around for a long time. She's well funded. Mm-hmm. Her district moved a couple of years ago. This area of Rockland was uh, Elliot Engel's district, but now it's Nita Lowy's. And so, what do you think her maybe her base is or her typical voter? And what's your plan to kind of attract them over? So I think you know, it's really interesting because I look at Elliot Engel, his his policies are very similar to Nita Lowy's. However, I, I don't know, but it seems like Elliot Engel's constituency might not be as happy, where it seems like Nita Lowy's um, constituency seems pretty, I don't know, satisfied, I'm unsure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the base for Nita Lowy is your, your typical standard Democrat. Okay. Um, Maybe not as progressive, possibly, as I am, or as far left as I am. Um, But I think that that's becoming more attractive. And I think that that's the way we, not I think I know that that's the way we need to move. Um, We need to start bending this arc toward justice. So um, my idea for attracting just regular, like, mid-down-the-line, middle-democrat is through the the issues I've mentioned, is through education. Everybody cares about education. Everybody cares about how their children, essentially, will be educated. Um, and I think that everybody should care about every education in general, how other kids are being educated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that talking about vulnerable people, like, you know, affordable housing, as I, as I mentioned, with elderly people, college students, people that are working class poor, I think that, um, but might be just down the line, regular voting blue, um, that's my way, and climate change is for, like, 
millennials and, you know, people that really um, are concerned with that as they should be. So I think through the four topics, I, I think I can grab a lot of or get a lot of down the line middle Democrats to latch on to my message. Okay. Because it's the way we need to go. I'm thinking, like, because if there's an issue where you're the same or similar to Nita Lowy, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to say, well, she's, you know, senior in all these committees. So I think the differences are probably, you know, really important. Mm -hmm. And maybe we didn't discuss the health care for all, because that was another thing where I think the progressives mm -hmm. were going around to all House members, you know, besides the new Green Deal, they were going around to all House members and saying, will you support Medicare for all? Mm -hmm. Do you know where she stands on that? Because um, I know that Dianne Feinstein, you know, wasn't good with that. There are some Democrats that say, I am for a form of universal health care, but not specifically that one. You know, and so they kind of like dance around the issue instead of just saying, I support a single payer system, Medicare for all type system. I haven't heard what she has to say about that, so I don't know. Okay. Um, my assumption would be not a single payer, but I don't know. I don't want to put like you right. know words in her mouth. I have heard her speak a few times, mm -hmm. and this was like when Paul Ryan was the mm -hmm. um, speaker of the House, and she was just the minority mm -hmm. leader, uh, or she was just a you know a senior Democrat. And she was powerful. She was a ranking member of the committee, and she did explain that she used to tell you know, Paul Ryan, uh-uh, no, mm. you're not getting this. Like, mm. we, you know, the Democrats are not voting for that, and therefore you don't, you're not going to have enough votes to get that out of a committee. And, you know, some of these things are really hard negotiations. Right. Remember, we, we went through the Obama, you know, whether or not he was going to, what do they call it, the super committee, whether or not he was going to uh, raise taxes on the rich, and he didn't, and right. w whether they were going to shut down the government, right. right? That happened multiple times. Right. This is really, like, important stuff where in that chairmanship, she's not just representing her district. No. She's representing kind of like the entire Democratic right. side. Right. Right. And I think that that's why it's even more important for her to do what is moral. Like, I know I get the predicament she must be in, but I, I know someone like me, I'm unshakable. Like, you know what I mean? So I feel like there are, there's a well-defined moral compass and I know you have to like work with other people but something like an issue like single pay like something some of these issues are just it's what's right mm -hmm. despite who you can convince or your, your stance should be on what is right and what is moral and what benefits the whole um and I think that I'm, I, I don't think she's awful at her job I think she does a good job I think she does try to work with other people she is just not, um, our district has grown, it's more diverse, so we need uh, that more representation in that area. And she is not as, um, she doesn't, she's, she doesn't take it far enough. Okay. It sounds like in the same, you know, differences between Nancy Pelosi and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, it's like younger, more willing to, you know, go farther, to push the envelope, to push the other side. And it, it's my goal to be an AOC for Westchester. Right. That's my goal. Okay. Yeah. So you are, I think, the first person to announce that you're running in the 2020 primary. And so it's possible that, I'm, I think it's pretty definite that there's going to be at least one more person, but it's possible that multiple other people come in, mm -hmm. you know, with all different qualifications and experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what happens if the field gets crowded? Would you look to the best candidate or would you want to stay in all the way to the end? Because I know as a teacher... At the end of the summer, you're going to have to either go back to school or yeah. be full-time, you know, in, the, in in a campaign mode, right? Yeah. Um, I got into this not only wanting to see it through, but I think I think that it, for me, it's I have a goal to accomplish. And the goal is to, and I, and I haven't met anybody else like me who's willing to be self-sacrificial and who's willing to be selfless and put themselves in the line and stand up for what is right in Congress. And until I see somebody like me, um, then I'll feel comfortable. They're like, okay, you know, if I can't win and they've got it, I'll step down. But I don't presume that happening. Right. Um, and until I see that happen, I'm going to stay in. Right. Okay. Until I just lose. <laughs> um, right. In New York, we don't even have we don't have our date yet, right? For the actual primary. We have tentative dates. So the primary is like June 23rd is what they're thinking. And okay, isn't that the statewide primary? Because I remember 
when Alessandra Biaggi and AOC, I think last time they had different dates for the federal and the state, right? So I think New York is right now finalizing. They do want to move their date because everything Mm. did move up. And I'm not sure where it is either. I don't think they've written it into law yet. So people that are planning a campaign don't actually have a certain date yet. I know that Super Tuesday Mm -hmm. is going to be in March. Yeah. And that's going to be really big in terms of the presidential. But the congressional races will be on the same day as the presidential. So it'll be like, you know, is New York going to vote for Biden, Bernie, Warren, Beto, <laughs> a Klobuchar, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Buttigieg, all these guys. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be the congressional races, yeah. for, depending where the people live. And I think they said it was going to be towards the end of April, but that's all tentative and it all has to be approved by the state or the Board of Elections because they, they are moving it all up. And so, you know, that must be really hard not knowing. Exa- I mean, you can't even print something now that no. says vote on April 28th nope. because you don't know when it's going to be. Right. Do you intend to try to appeal to all of these new blue wave organizations like Justice Democrats, brand new Congress, No IDC, NY, there's uh, Off the Sidelines, there's all these different kind of candidate groups and incubator groups and everything. Do you intend to try to appeal to them and see if you can get them to... to I haven't. I haven't. um, I've been nominated for Justice Democrats. I'm praying, (laughs) to be quite honest. Okay, so you're you're hoping that they'll come for an interview? Yeah, um, yeah, and that they'll endorse, you know, me um, and all the other local organizations just as progressive, where we match ideals. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm looking for, that's how, you know, grassroots campaigns work. Um, You get the the local people up there supporting you, get the message out, Um, and that's my goal right now. Right, and so the reason why we're doing this is because I was contacted from some in Rockland Can mm-hmm. and that is one of the grassroots groups here in Rockland County that uh, sprung up ever since the 2016 election um, there's Rockland Can, there's Rockland United there's uh, Rockland against the new Jim Crow mm-hmm. there's uh, Preserve Ramapo mm-hmm. there's Power of Ten, there's so many like groups in Rockland because we have so much tea here mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I guess you'll be making your way down the list and I'll, I'll be trying. I'll certainly be trying. Right. So you're, you're looking at this whole district, not just the Westchester side. You're looking at the Rockland side as well. Yeah, I'm looking at all any all um, municipalities that encompass the district, yeah. Right. Okay. That's going to be a fun summer, uh, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm down for it because there's a reason why I'm doing this, and that's what's driving me. Right. To be quite honest. And so there's lots of these organizations. Just Democrats is one that their whole reason for being is that they're opposing the candidates that take the big money, the big corporate money, right, the PAC money. And you've already pointed out that Lowy's taking that money. So are you taking a pledge that you're not going to be taking corporate PAC money? Just local, individual, small um, dollar donations. Small dollar donations, yeah. Okay, so if just say some random company comes up, like Ford Motor Company comes up and say, "Hey, uh, would you like me to you know, write your check for like fifty k right now, make it a lot easier for you?" Like I said, I'm unshakable. <laughs> I'm I'm really in this to do what is right. We have too many people like that that can be swayed. The reason I'm running is because I know I cannot be. Right. Um, and I'm running for a reason. I'm running to be in, in AOC of Westchester for a reason. So I'm unshakable. Don't forget um, to say Rockland because they get very offended oh, okay. when you leave them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the district, I don't know what the shape of the district, but some of these districts are really like curly cues because mm-hmm. of gerrymandering. Gerrymandering, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there was a debate last night, and I didn't get to see it, but I heard some clips. As usual, education was not mentioned, and there was some people out on Twitter that were complaining that MSNBC um, refuses to ask about public education. One one of them said something about education, but it wasn't that relevant. But I was like, yay, you mentioned schools. Oh, one of the candidates One of the candidates. Um, I forget his name, but it was the lesser, one of the lesser known ones. And so our boss was on that stage, right, as well, Mm -hmm. uh, Bill de Blasio. Mm -hmm. It sounded like, you know, it sounded like he kind of, he was trying to uh, distinguish himself. Right. All the interrupting. I saw a tweet online that said he was bragging about how he brought single payer to New York City. Mm. And she was saying, really? I didn't know we had single payer in New York City. Um, so he, it has been announced. 
Mm. Um, but I don't think it's been implemented yeah, yet. Yeah. And so here he is, you know, saying, okay, Tell he got it. Yeah, I remember the announcement, but I figured it would take years before. I mean, I don't know. It I might don't, take a while. Yeah. I mean, whoever doesn't have a policy is going to get a policy. And I'm not sh- I don't even remember how it's paid for, but I do remember the announcement. And so I kind of liked how he did. I mean, um, you know, I think a lot of them did really well, but I was kind of a fan of what he did. And I personally like him and his work with Carranza. Cause, like, I love Carranza. So. Well, let's let's talk about that for people that may not know. Um, we have a New York City schools chancellor, Richard Carranza, who is very, very controversial because what he wants to do is he wants to integrate the schools right that's this is like his number one priority and people might not realize but that new york state and new york city schools are the the most most, the most segregated segregated schools in the nation and you wouldn't think that right you would think it was like alabama or tennessee (laughs) or something but it's not it's new york and a lot of that is because of the neighborhood that you live in and the economics but even in like mixed race neighborhoods like in brooklyn you have these schools that tend to be predominantly white or predominantly minority and Richard Carranza's mission is is to to fix that and he's getting a lot of heat for it it's going to happen through rezoning in other words like people will get an envelope in the mail saying you know your assigned school used to be this school but now it's this school and that happened already on the Upper West Side Mm -hmm. you might have seen the video people might know what I'm talking about and, uh, you know, there was some pushback uh, because, you know, there were some white parents that said that, you know, they send their kids to really expensive test prep centers, you know, so that they can get in the in the better school, right, where it was kind of like achievement-based. And so there's a rezoning where the school you're assigned to is going to change. And then there's also schools that are going to be reserving seats for kids depending on income, mm-hmm. right? Because you're not legally allowed to have a racial quota. Mm-hmm. But when you do it by income, it's almost the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's the way that they're getting around it. And Carranza is taking heat from that. And I'm for integrating the schools. I went to a predominantly minority school. I went mm-hmm. to Joan of Arc on 93rd Street. Oh. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, there's pros and cons but i think positives definitely outweigh the negatives and that parents are way too apprehensive they're thinking back to the days of white flight in the 70s you know where they just have this idea that it's just going to be rampant with crime and you know all of these stereotypes and it's just not i went through those schools it might be true that you know the kids coming in are not as you know literate they might be like english as a second language mm-hmm. but they come up i mean they catch up the whole idea is to have a quality education and the issue i think is just what we've been mentioning and talking about about there being a system of inequity and i think that him trying to undo like this is this is the work that we've got to do right getting rid of some systems and completely redoing them and i think that that work is super honorable he's getting a lot of heat as you know i you know would think that that would be the case but that makes this work so 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 important yeah we need to we edu- i think educational equity informs and impacts so much and part of that yeah we need to integrate and i think what he's doing is so 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 i'm a super fan so another one of his priorities de blasio and carranza is that specialized high school entrance exams uh, specialized high school entrance exam, the shsat mm-hmm. what is your view the proposal from the mayor's office is that instead of making uh, everybody take the standardized test and they just take the highest scorers, mm-hmm. uh, because that has en- ended up where we are today, mm-hmm. I think it's like 60 or 70% Asian, mm-hmm. 20% white, mm-hmm. and then you know a very, very small percentage of, of so other. So let's put it like this. I believe this year there were about 900 applicants or accepted students, and eight were right. people of color. Right. No. So the proposal to change this Mm -hmm. would be to take the top 7% of achievers in every school, which means that every neighborhood will be represented. It'll be like the UN of New York City. To me, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. You know, it will 
upset you know the the status quo the status quo is that no the only thing that matters is the test my opinion is that this whole thing has been a distraction Mm -hmm. because we are spending so much time and energy talking about five schools Mm -hmm. when we should be talking about 500 schools Mm -hmm. right why Mm -hmm. isn't there high quality challenging program for all those kids in all those schools already right Right. and what about those kids because like you say it's limited then now even if all 900 were this color or that color it's still only 900 kids well we have 1.1 or 1.3 million kids right and i don't think that it's not necessarily that the the educators aren't they're not as high quality i think that there are certain ideas attached to those schools and like assumptions made about those schools which make people want to go to those schools well they're very prestigious right so one one teacher left my school and went to Stuyvesant, right? right? Uh, does he taught at my school too? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make those schools any any better. I, right. I think I just think that they are elitist and prestigious, which makes people want to go to those schools. Um, but I think that we need to work on. I like the whole UN idea. And I think that that needs to to happen. I mean, it kind of sucked for the kids in Staten Island (laughs) (laughs) to go. But actually, Stuyvesant's not that far from there. (laughs) Just you know, maybe because uh, yeah. I mean, in in my school, we got a kid. We get very few kids into those schools Mm. in my middle school, and we got a kid into Tech, Brooklyn Tech, Mm -hmm. and he's coming from the Bronx. You know, and it's a long yeah, long commute. Why couldn't they just switch you know, one kid from Brooklyn, one kid from the Bronx? But that's not the way it works. works. Right, yeah. So um, the real stumbling block actually is Albany because mm-hmm. there is mayoral control. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, and I don't know why, I should know this, but for some reason this policy has to be approved up in Albany. Because when you're using a test or when you're using a separate assessment criteria mm-hmm. that's apart from everybody else, it has to be it has to go through channels, right. right? And so that's where it sits. And I, I guess they didn't rule on it. Not yet. So uh, you know, I, you know, to be continued. But yeah, that's that's another issue. Something else that's really, really of concern here in Rockland County is we have our ultra orthodox Hasidic community, and I don't know if you've been hearing too much about mm-hmm. it, but the the Measles. plight. Yeah. Well, the, there's the measles thing, which has been making national news. Mm-hmm. But even before that, and this is kind of related because some of the parents that refuse to get their kids inoculated, they're trying to force them now. They're, they got rid of the religious exemption right. in policy, and right. so now I guess they're going to try and enforce that. But no, the other issue is that in the yeshivas, um, and this goes for parts of Brooklyn, like Borough Park, these schools, these are religious schools that are set up, and that they haven't been teaching kids the basics. They haven't been giving them English, math, social studies, civics, we spoke about civic mm-hmm. science, and all they get, this we're talking about the boys mostly, mm-hmm. and then once they get into high school, they only concentrate, and they have like an 11-hour day on rabbinical studies, the Torah and the Talmud, and, you know, that's fine if somebody wants to send their kid to a religious school mm-hmm. and choose that for the kids, but when the school receives state and federal funding... right for transportation, textbooks, um, special ed, lunches, you know, there's all these, like, funding streams that they get, then they have to follow the state standards for learning, for mm-hmm. cur- for education, right. and they're not. And there's dozens of schools that have been reported out of compliance and a complaint, mm. and we, I interviewed a couple times the uh, lead plaintiff, you know, on the lawsuit, and so it's really divisive. There are some politicians that are like de Blasio actually is accused of dragging his heels because this investigation took three years before they got anybody into those schools. Carranza just announced that they finished all the inspections and they Mm. sent somebody into these schools to Mm -hmm. make sure that they're complying. Mm -hmm. They have to have substantially equivalent education. Mm -hmm. And they're about to announce their findings like any minute, like any day. So there's a lot of activism up here in Rockland because we have a bunch of yeshivas up here. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, the other ones are in Brooklyn. They're, they're kind of those two big enclaves mm-hmm. where they, you know, they're saying, you know, get the government out of our business, right. get the government out of life. But yet they're taking all this, all the funding, right, the taxpayer funding. Right. So what's your impression of that, you know, situation? I think with or without funding, schools... Students should be held to a certain standard. I think students have the right and need to be um, minimally, like, educated, and minimal should be, like, a good standard. They should leave with some skills and some set knowledge that 
everybody should have. I think that um, I think the the religious education, like you said, is fine. It's beautiful. But in addition to that, we need to be making sure that they can do these things and that they know these things um, and they're aware of certain things. Um, and especially taking into account that some funding is going there, then that definitely they need to they, there needs to be some standards held to that. Right. Um, so I, I'm in agreement. Like there's common sense. Right. <laughs> like there's not much that Carranza. Uh, there are not many things that he thinks that I'm in disagreement with. Like okay. I, I really like his stances. Um, so then, what did you uh, feel about the previous administration? I mean, were you teaching? How, how many years have you been teaching? I'm hitting my seventh year. Seventh I, year. I've been teaching since I was 21. So you're mostly a de Blasio teacher. but yes. But you got a little bit of Bloomberg. Yes, but my mom is a uh, school psychologist. She works in a D75 school oh, in okay. the city. That, for people that don't know. Ma- yeah, mainly it's for um, students with disabilities. Right. Um, and I've heard her gripings and mumblings for she's near retirement now. For the Bloomberg, so I feel very, very well versed in in his mm-hmm. tenure um, during during that time. Um, yeah, he he wasn't. I, my impression was that he was not a friend of us. He was not right. very good. No, Bloomberg, and he does he does fund charter schools. I mean, Bloomberg is pretty good on the gun yeah. rights issues um, or, or gun safety issues, but not on the other stuff. And you know, he has been funding candidates all over the country. To get on school boards in cities and towns, you know, that are pro-charter and protesting and, you know, making smaller schools with this teacher accountability and these evaluations. And I, don't, the, I think his, his idea is to run schools like a business. Right. And that doesn't work. He's with, a businessman. But, and, and that doesn't work with living human beings. When right. When something or someone doesn't produce in a business, what do you do? You fire them, you chuck them out. You cannot do that with children. Therefore, you cannot employ those same tactics and strategies here. Right. Well, if you if you're opening up a charter school, you can dump the kids into a, you know, a different school and that's mm-hmm. kind of what happened. Yep. And you know, that might be great if you have your own business, but in education, your responsibility is equity for every kid getting their needs met. And right. so, yeah. And that, then that's immoral. It's unethical, right? To 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 only take whoever you want and to then you are like, you know, leaving out the students with the disabilities and the lower achieving students and all these other things. You're you're dealing them out. That's immoral. When I first started teaching, Joel Klein was the uh, chancellor. Boy, he was 85, you know, the teacher surveys, mm-hmm. 85% disapproved of him. <laughs> yeah. And so, I, you know, we, we used to just boo him when mm-hmm. we saw him. <laughs> Um, we're going to have to say goodbye. We really want to thank Lola for coming in and sharing all of her thoughts with us. How can people get more information about you? Um, so I have my Twitter. Mm-hmm. I have my public Facebook. Um, and that has my email and all that stuff on it. So people actually have been contacting me. Um, so I'm accessible. If you just Google my name, um, I'll pop up, and you can definitely find one way to message me or another. Okay, so if people uh, go onto Facebook and they put in Lola Osoria, mm-hmm. okay, uh, so O S O R I A. Yep. Okay, and you sure you don't want to put a Cortez on the back? I'm um, sure. <laughs> I wish I could. Not. <laughs> um, so you have a Facebook setup, and are you going to be setting up an Act Blue account? I have one. Oh, you have an Act Blue, so people one. can go to Act Blue if they're interested and uh, support this campaign too. Yep. For New York update, this is Jake Jacobs. The archives will be online, and you can catch us anytime at nyupdate.org. It's not just radio, it's Rockland World Radio. Rockland World Radio.com.